How many of y'all are really worried about me being at the party? I was at a wedding last night, but they didn't run out of wine. So Jesus didn't have to show up and make more, I guess. I want to read this morning from the book of uh, John, if you haven't gotten there with me. Um, This series we're talking about, Walking with Jesus. And what we want to really get into here is what it really looked like for those folks who were seeing this rabbi who kind of comes out of the blue and just stirs the pot, okay? We're going to look at John 2. John 2 this morning. And we want to get kind of a look from some of the eyes of those who were following him. I think we have this high and holy view of Jesus, rightfully so. King of kings, Lord of lords. We talked about being born the king. But there's something of the earthiness that we miss too often, I think. There's something of his humanity that we're afraid of. I I guess it's because we're human. And we know how flawed we are. And we think, well, we can't think of Jesus like that. Jesus has to be this whole other. But what we've been taught is that he's both. He was all things. And what that means for us. Let's read the scriptures today. Good, we're ready to go. 2 verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to this wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. He then told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who, were drawn, who had drawn it, the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best until now. This is the first of his miraculous signs, John says. Jesus performed it at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. What a great story that we don't talk about very much with Jesus. The story of him at a wedding feast. I want to look at the context a bit. This is after his baptism and as he calls disciples. As a matter of fact, the disciples that he got here, Andrew and Simon, right, came from John. They were hanging out with John when John said, there's the guy I was talking about, and they just went, let's go. Actually, Andrew went, let's go, and Andrew said, let's go get Simon, and let's go follow this guy, Jesus. So they're following Jesus together, okay? And I want to go through this passage because i got to be honest with you, I have a lot of trouble with this passage, you know? And I was at a wedding yesterday, and I spent a lot of time looking at this wedding and thinking, what in the world does Jesus want to do with this? Because a lot of times you go to a wedding, are you a good Christian? You go to a wedding and you're just like, we got to get out of here. Chris said last night to me, she said, we got to get while the getting's good. <laughs> nothing, this is what she said to me, nothing good can come from this. <laughs> you know, have you been to a wedding like that? Oh, no. Nothing good can come from this. My wedding was that way, I got to say, after we left, thank God, right? We left and they kind of tore the place up a little bit. And I mean, it was not good, you know, and you just see that coming. Oh, no, nothing good can come from this. And... Um, 
But here we find Jesus at this wedding feast. Now, I'm not going to pretend to say that the weddings then were like the weddings now. I'm not going to say that. But I think they were the same in many ways, including it was a celebration. It was a party and probably a days-long party. This was not just a one evening event for four hours. You complain about having to wait between the service and the meal because you're so hungry. I mean, this was a big event, and they were invited to it. Another thing to take note of here is this is in Cana in Galilee, which is five miles from uh, Nazareth, okay? So this is kind of a hometown thing, you know, like it was last night, a hometown wedding that Jesus comes to. And so I just want to talk through a few of these things uh, that I find very, very intriguing about this text. And then we're going to move on to some, some uh, I don't know, some connections maybe, what, what Jesus is doing here. Uh, it says, Jesus' mother was there, and his disciples uh, were invited also to the wedding. And so when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother comes and says, they have no more wine, right? I think that's awesome. Because I, I just think, you know, Jesus is just there hanging out, you know, and his mom comes over. I kind of had an experience last night where I'm the guy who prays now. Okay, and so they come and they go, hey, pastor, will you come over and pray real quick? Okay, you know. Um, Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. His mom says, they have no more wine. Listen to his response. And we're talking more about Mary in a minute. He says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Now, we talked about Jesus two weeks ago, right, when he was in the temple, and he says, where else would I be? But I think, you know, this dear woman thing, it sounds kind of, abrasive. I mean, I think if I said to my mom, woman, I don't think that's what Jesus said, because Jesus didn't get slapped next, which is what would happen to me. But, um, but, you know, he used the same word from the cross when he said, dear woman, this is your son. I don't think he meant it sarcastically, but he did mean the second part, which is to say, my time hasn't come yet. We talked about what did Jesus look like growing up. Mary knew those treasures in her heart. She knew Jesus could do something about this. What was her concern with it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she was concerned that the bridegroom would be embarrassed because he ran out of stuff before the guests left. Maybe she just wanted more wine. I don't know what her concern was. But she brought it to Jesus because she knows, yeah, right, because she knows that, um, he can do something about this. She's seen enough stuff in his life. She goes, you can fix this, okay? And he says, my time has not yet come. Look what Mary does. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She doesn't say anything like that. This is what she does. She turns to the servants. By the way, church, the servants here, diakonos. The same diakonos that were appointed over the early church. Same word, servants, waiters of tables. She turns to those who are waiting on tables and she says, you guys, do whatever he asks. And she leaves, right? And I just think it's funny that Jesus says, it's not my time. And then she says, hey, hey, guys, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She has this kind of, I don't know, motherly thing going where she knows he's going to do something about this. She's brought to concern. Let's not miss Mary's faithfulness. Because I see sometimes we bring things to Jesus, we pray prayers to Jesus, and we pray him again, and we pray him again, and we pray him again, and I wonder, do we not have the faith that Mary had? Jesus didn't jump up right there, right, and rush over. What can I do? Let me make some wine. No. She didn't know how he was going to do it. She knew he could do something about it. Do we trust Jesus that much? Do we trust him enough to pray and then walk away? going to be all right. I don't know how he's going to do it. He's going to do it. 
Jesus is not a vending machine, though, so I don't want to get that idea right. Put in coins, wine comes out. This is what she said. This says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he asks. Now nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20, 30 gallons. What's interesting about these jars is we talked about this, this sin offering. These jars were for, for ceremonial cleansing before the meal. And you would wash, and you would wash, and you would wash, and then you would eat, and then you would wash and wash. It was a thing they did. I don't understand it exactly. Okay? But these were, I don't know that those were the jars you would be drinking out of. I don't know. I don't know if they were or not. And so Jesus says to the, to the servants there, the diaconos, the deacons of the church, he says, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them up with water. And then he says, now take out a ladle and carry it over to the master of the banquet. This is the chief taster, maybe the head waiter, maybe uh, someone at the, like the best man. I don't know who this guy is. But they take this over and they have him taste it. Check out what happens here. It says, and they did so. And the banquet, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. What? Did you see it happen in here? Look at this. He said, fill the jars with water. Now draw some water and take, draw, draw some out and take it to the master. He didn't say what it is. And they took it and they tasted the water that had been turned into wine. It's like John just like, oh yeah, by the way, it's wine now. There's no how this happened. There's no, like, hocus pocus, you know? There's no stunt. Jesus says, fill it up. Now go ahead and taste it. They go over and they taste it. Check this out. It says, um, he didn't realize, the master of the banquet did not realize where it had come from, but the servants who drew it knew. So here these guys are. Now you've got to picture this, right? These guys are the waiters, and they take this little picture, and they go, the picture of this ladle, whatever, they go over and they say, here, taste this. I was wondering, I always thought it was red wine. Do you think it's red wine or white wine he made? Huh? Red? Anyone red? I always thought red, and I thought maybe it was white, because then you, I don't know if you could be able to tell. What if it looked like water? What if it just tasted like wine? I don't know. It doesn't say. It bugs me. But he takes it over, <laughs> and he takes it over, and he says, they say, taste this. They have no expectation of what's about to happen here. It doesn't say that they do, and they wait. And it says this. That's the wrong verse. Here we go. And it says this. It says, He called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the best wine first and the cheaper wine after they've had too much to drink. But you bring the, first, the best out last. Here's this profession. This guy has no idea where the wine came from. He literally thinks that the, 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 the uh, bridegroom did this on purpose. Not that he ran out, but that he actually saved the best to last. <sighs> what am I trying to say? Who gets it? Who gets the miracle at Cana? Is it the bridegroom? No. I bet he's confused. What are you talking about? Best to last. Or he probably did what I did, like, that's right. Why not, you know, take credit for that. Do the servants get it? They just go over, you know. I mean, not the servants. Do the, do the, the headmaster get it? He just tastes it. Oh, this is amazing. Let me go talk to the bridegroom about how great this is, you know. The servants get it. The servants get the miracle. The servants get the wine from water. Everyone else seems kind of oblivious. 
we talk about Jesus coming in humble ways. He, he's, at a, he's at a big party. He could have done a big spectacular wine, water to wine thing. He could have got some people's attention like the tablecloth trick. Watch this, you know. And, and he didn't. He just said, now go have them taste that. And they go and they taste it. And they're just like, wow. And these servants, what are they thinking? Are you kidding? This is water from the, hand, the, the pots you wash your hands in. It's the best, the best wine. All right. This is what it says in verse 11. This is the first of Jesus' miraculous signs, which is why we come to it today, that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. In this sign, he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Do you think Andrew and Simon and the other disciples thought it was about that he was trying to show something to them? I mean, can God use circumstances that we don't believe God can use at all, you know? Did Mary just happen to walk up at that moment and say, hey, Jesus' response is not my time. He didn't make a show of it. This isn't the first time it's going to happen. When he does miracles, he'll tell people, like, don't say anything to anybody. Go back home and don't tell anybody I did this for you. It's not my time yet. What is that about? Right? Jesus has a sense of timing that he knows when it's his time. He knows when he's ready. But he did want this for his disciples. He wanted them to witness this with him. Tons of questions about this text. Tons of questions. Why record that the best comes last? What does that mean, the best comes last? I can think of some illusions here. One of them being that Jesus is the coming Messiah, right? Now, you've got to imagine this is a Jewish wedding, and they're there, and, and they're all, you know, content with their faith. And Jesus is saying, I don't know, the best is coming is yet to come? The best comes last? Because they have the law. They don't need any better wine. Jesus even says, it's not, I don't pour new wine in old wineskins when he talks about that, right? I pour new wine in new wineskins. There's this whole new thing that's happening that's way better than the stuff you've had before. Stuff you had before, it's good. The younger wine is better. That makes no sense if you're a wine guy, right? It makes no sense at all. Newer wine isn't better. Jesus says it is. What's that mean? There's this allusion to the coming kingdom of God. This idea that the covenant promises that were found in the law are fulfilled in Christ Jesus and will be, will be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. I hope you can hear this this morning. It's an affirmation of the intimacy of a relationship between two. What does that mean? Why does it happen at a wedding? You know, yesterday when we did this wedding here, we actually, the opening words were about how Jesus affirmed the validity of weddings and marriages by being present and giving his first miracle in Cana. And I thought, really? Like, if that hadn't happened, would we believe less in marriage now? Probably so. Because Jesus is present, he's somehow ordaining this. I'll tell you a quick story. I was at, um, see, last night was made a little more sense because I, I oversaw the wedding and stuff. But before this, I was at a wedding with, with my family. And my family, let's just say, don't really exactly believe. And I'll say not all my family, but my father and, and some of his friends. Okay, fair enough. So we're at this wedding. They have a Protestant wedding because they're Protestant. And they have a Catholic reception. What is that about? They have a Protestant wedding and a Catholic reception. They do this because uh, they want to drink. And you can't have the reception. You have to have it at the Casey Hall to drink. And so they do. 
So I'm sitting there with my wife in the corner. We're just hanging out. And all of a sudden, the mother of the bride comes over and says to me, Bill, can you do us a favor? Will you pray? And I was talking to Steve about this. And I'm like, well, I wasn't involved in this in any way, you know? I don't know if Jesus agrees with what's going on here, <laughs> you know? You don't even know Jesus. What are you asking me to pray for? What's better is the bride and groom were already going through the buffet line. They had like food in their plates and food in their mouths. And the mother's asking me to pray for them. And I said, well, if the bride wants me to. And so the mother goes, you know, he's going to pray. And everyone stops, you know. And I go up to the DJ and awkwardly, I mean, I mean awkwardly, church. I take this thing and I'm asking myself, can I do this? Is this right? Is this wrong? I should not pray. I should not pray for these people. This is not. And I finally do it. And I pray, you know what I pray? I pray heaven's blessings upon this event. I pray that God would be whew, present. And nothing happens. We say amen, chatter, chatter, you know, eating, clanging of dishes. Everybody starts to hit the bottle. Chris says, we got to get out of here. This is going to get out of hand, you know. But I look, I, say, I sat down and I was just burned down. I looked at Chris and I said, what was that about? What was that about? And then I look over on the wall of the Casey Hall, and here's Jesus on the cross like this, right at the front of the, head, of the food table. And I just go, okay, you like weddings. You know, I get that. I heard someone say one time that the church right now in America will never be more effective unless we learn to have better parties. And that's a little scary, isn't it? Because we are afraid if we party, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. That, oh, that feels good. I've got to stop. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to us. There's an affirmation of this uniting of two people. Much like Christ and his church, that's us, folks. There's this idea that we will be wed at the final banquet. I want to read some things to you uh, here. We're going to move forward elsewhere in scripture. Uh, Matthew 22, we're going to go quickly now. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants and, uh, to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. Listen to this. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who've been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle, and have, butchered, have been butchered, and everything is ready. So come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, and they went off their own way. One went to his field, and the other to his business. The rest seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those that I invited didn't deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both the good and the bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed there was a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth because many are invited, but very few 
are chosen. Now, why do I bring this up to you? Because Jesus taught this as a parable about what? The kingdom of God. And we will say, well, we understand that in Jesus' time, there were those who were there who didn't get, they were invited to the wedding feast, that they were too busy with life to be, to be part of the party, right? And Jesus, and this is the, what we get out of this, but... What I really want to focus on is the fact that once any guest is uninvited to the party, Jesus is going to fill the seats. Do you believe that? Wait a minute. The kingdom of God, the party, the party, Jesus will fill every seat. You see those seats right there? They'll be full. They'll be full. They'll be full. Your seat might be full. Might be full. Whoa, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you comfortable at a party? You have to get out before it gets too crazy. You may not be able to handle the kingdom of God. You believe that? Jesus says he sent his servants out into the streets to gather everyone they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled. What is the deal with this guy with the wedding clothes? Does anyone know? It's a church answer. Jesus, okay? There's this idea that he was not properly dressed to be there. There's this idea that we, in order to set at this banquet, at this kingdom palace, at this, at this meal, I don't know what it's going to be like. We have to be properly adorned. Properly adorned, adorned in the clothes of the righteousness of Jesus, not ours. How are good and bad people there? Did it say you threw out all the bad people? Nope, right? It didn't say that. It said the only one that got through out was the guy who snuck in. You know, you don't want to be that guy at the party. What are you doing here, man? You didn't come through the front door. You came through the window, you know? And that's a harsh thing, that the king will throw him out. I don't even know what that means. I, I'm very uncomfortable with that. But um, let's not be there, you know? Let's get comfortable with this idea that God is bringing us to a kingdom feast. What does that mean for our lives? How does that affect how we behave? How does it affect how we interact with others? How does it affect the way we think we're asking all holy and righteous to be praying for these sinners? They're God's people. And God's trying to fill the kingdom hall. One more verse. I want you to get the idea here that we are moving toward something. We are moving toward a kingdom. This is in the um, book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 6. This, again, is a book written by John when he's in exile, right? Verse 6, it says this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude... I'm going to go back to verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, there's the clothes, was given to her to wear. 
And it says here, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet and I worshipped him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you. By the way, he's talking to an angel. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. That's us, folks. Worship God, he says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then John says, I saw heaven standing open there before me and was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, his judges, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but him alone. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name, and his name is the word of God. That's heavy stuff. That's the coming kingdom. That's the wedding feast. That's the day. It goes on to say that that's when Jesus starts to, to, to separate with the sword of his mouth, the word of God. My point to you folks today is be ready. Be ready. We're going to have communion today. And uh, if we want to get ready for that. But you need to be ready because you never know 